I'm thankful that all of you are here this morning, and I welcome all of you who are watching online. I'm starting a new series. It will last for three weekends, and I'm calling it Christmas on the Road. I'm wondering how many of you are going to be on the road at some point during the holidays. That's what I thought. Most of us are. I've never known what it was like not to be on the road at the holidays. When I was a boy, both my sets of grandparents lived in central Texas. And so every single Christmas Eve was spent in Waco, Texas. And every single Christmas day was spent in Belton or Salado, wherever my mother's parents were living at the time. And that's all I knew all the way through college. And then when I married, it was always being at Jamie's family or my family at Christmas time. We were always on the road. I remember uh, just after we had become parents in September, our first Christmas with a baby, we were meeting my family in Houston, Texas, where my brother lived. And we had a little Datsun in which we had put a crib and a car seat and a stroller and all the things that mama said, you've got to have with a new baby. And I drove all the way to Houston, literally like this with things in my lap. And the first thing that we did when we got back to Abilene was buy a Suburban which was hilarious. Our house was 1,200 square feet and our car was 1,500 square feet. (laughs) But I have been greatly impacted by some of these holiday trips because they can be hectic and frantic, like the guy who's trying to get home for Christmas and the airport is going crazy and he's at the uh, baggage check-in counter and he puts his luggage on the scale and notices above the scale is mistletoe. And he asked the lady behind the counter, what's that for? And she said, so you can kiss your luggage goodbye. Because (laughs) things are just going to go wrong when you're on the road at the holidays. And maybe that's okay because traveling has always been a part of the Christmas story. Think about your typical nativity scene. Everybody in the drama traveled to get there. Joseph and Mary did. The shepherds did. Even the angels did. And especially, of course, the ones that we refer to as the wise men. Because the journey to Jesus is a trip wise people are willing to make. You see, There is a sense in which all of us here are on the road. Because Jesus said in his most famous sermon that every single human being is a seeker. The only issue is what are you seeking? But we're all on a road. We're all seeking something because we're wired. To need something to live for, something we can set our hearts on, something that is going to give some meaning to our journey in life. Now, here's the problem, Jesus says. Most people have set their hearts and they have set their path on the external instead of the eternal. So you spend your life thinking life is about what am I going to eat and what am I going to drink and what am I going to drive and where am I going to live and where am I going to vacation. And Jesus says the problem is that road never delivers. 
And those people wind up saying something like, there's just something missing in my life. Because you are trying to grab something that will disappoint at the end of the journey. It's like the story I heard about the four people on an airplane. There was the pilot. There was a world-famous politician. There was a preacher and a Boy Scout. And they hit some turbulence, and the plane starts acting funny. And the pilot comes back with a grave look on his face and says, I'm sorry, but we've lost our engines. This plane's going down, and we only have three parachutes. And I'm a father with three young kids. I have to survive. So without any further ado, he grabbed a parachute and just jumped out of the plane. At which point the politician said, I'm the world's smartest politician. I'm the greatest negotiator and mediator in the world. The global system needs my intellect. I must survive. He grabbed a pack. He jumped out of the plane. And the preacher said to the young Boy Scout, son, I've lived a long life. I know the Lord. I'm ready to meet my maker. You take the last parachute. And the Boy Scout says, don't sweat it, preach. The smartest politician in the world just jumped out with my knapsack. Because Jesus says what you are spending your life trying to get is not going to deliver at the end of the road. Well, what should we be seeking? Here's the amazing thing. Jesus said in that same sermon, chapter 6, verse 33 of Matthew, the thing you should want most is God's kingdom. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Jesus says what is missing in your life is the reign of God. That's not typically how we think because we focus so much on external instead of eternal. But Jesus says if you want the life you've always wanted, if you want to walk on a better road, what you really want is a life that is under God's rule. Because he is a good king. You want a life that is surrendered to his agenda and his direction. That's really what you need. It's what's missing from your life. And it is why the wise men hit the road. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. But look again at what they say when they get to Jerusalem. This is their explanation of why they went so far on the journey. Where's the one that's been born king of the Jews? We've seen a star in the east and we have come to worship him. Notice, they didn't just say, well, we heard a new king was born and we wanted to come pay our respects. They weren't looking for another king. They knew where lots of kings lived. They worked for kings. What they were hoping to find was a king worthy of worship. That's different. They were looking for a reign that was worth bowing to. We're just going to find a kid and they weren't going to worship a star. But they set out to find a king for whom they could bow down. And you should too. Because any other path you are on is ultimately going to prove hopeless. It won't deliver. So I want to talk a little bit about this road you need to be on. Now, the very first thing I'm going to say 
is controversial and politically incorrect. But this road to hope is both narrow and wide. And what do I mean by it being a narrow road? I simply mean this. Christmas declares that all roads do not go to heaven. I want you just to think for a moment about what it is we are celebrating. The incarnation makes Christianity incompatible with every other religion in the world. And anyone that says, well, all religions are basically the same are simply telling you they haven't studied all religions. They are not basically the same. There is a religion, the only one, that says God came in the flesh. He walked among us fully God, fully man. The baby in the manger was the one who created the universe. Now, either that's true or that's not true. It can't be a maybe. If it's true, then that one named Jesus, when he was born, is king of kings. He's Lord of Lord, and he rightfully deserves the allegiance of every single human being on earth. Christmas claims a sovereignty for Christ that supersedes every other claim in the universe. They did not put Jesus to death for telling people to be nice. They put him to death because he told people he was Messiah and deserved their allegiance and their worship. Christmas is an exclusive claim. It's also the most inclusive invitation in the world. Because everybody's invited to the party. Think about it. Who were these guys that came from the east? They were called magi. I know that a lot of our Christmas songs call them kings. They were not kings. They were employees of kings. They were officials in royal courts. And what they did was consult Kings on affairs of state, primarily through their claimed knowledge of astrology. And that was the belief that you could read the movement of stars and you could be forewarned about what fate or the will of the gods had in store. Now, in the Old Testament, this was associated with the occult and with the work of demons. And so Moses and the prophets are very clear. They denounce astrology. They want it to have no place in Israel. I'm just going to say up front, if you dabble with astrology, you need to let it go. The Bible has no place for it among the people of God. So by race, they're Gentiles. They've got one strike against them. By profession, they're astrologers. That's two strikes against them. And yet... There's something about the birth of Jesus that seems to be adding lanes to this road to God. Because people start getting invited to be a part of this story that you would think never would belong. In fact, think about how Matthew's gospel starts with a genealogy of Jesus. And he puts some women in there that no good Jew would want listed. Gentile women. An adulteress, a prostitute. 
For that matter, Matthew's a tax collector. Everybody's an outsider. But all of a sudden, this road has more lanes and more people are invited to come. It's a foreshadowing of the very last words of the book. Where Jesus says, I want you to go into all the world. I want you to invite every ethnic group, every people, every nation on earth to come to me. One of my favorite Christmas movies is Miracle on 34th Street. They remade it a few years ago and it was good, but it was not nearly as good as the original. The idea behind the movie was that this man who claimed to be Santa Claus claimed he was the real Santa Claus, was on trial. Is the Christmas story fake or real? And in the movie, there's this scene where he's on his uh, chair and the kids are coming up. In the original, a little girl came up who only spoke Dutch. But Santa spoke Dutch to her. In the remake, she was a deaf young girl and he signed to her. And whether Hollywood realized it or not, they were actually teaching a gospel truth. If Christmas is true, it's for everybody. If the story is real, everybody ought to be included. And this is what Matthew was saying. That God wants to invite Everybody to meet his son. Here's my favorite Christmas verse. Not one we typically think, but I think it is. John 3, 16. Explains Christmas. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son. So that, and this is my favorite word in the verse. So that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Christmas says there's room on the road For everyone. Because God is the original seeker. God was looking for you. A long time before it ever crossed your mind to try to find him. Think about it. Who made the star? Who started the search? You see, this road to hope is marked by signs. All kinds of signs on the road. And yet some people see the signs, some people don't. Apparently nobody in Jerusalem saw the star, which is amazing to me. Why is it some people are able to see signs of God and other people in the same place can't see the signs? And I suggest it has a lot to do with the heart of the one that's looking. I'm reminded of a story that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle told on himself. He was the man who created the Sherlock Holmes character that's so popular. He said he was on vacation in France. He was at a taxi uh, stop in Paris. And a car pulls up. He puts his stuff in the trunk. He gets in the car. And the driver says, where can I take you, Mr. Doyle? And he said... Do you recognize me? And he says, no. How do you know I'm Arthur Conan Doyle? And the taxi driver says, well, now, I read in the paper that you were on vacation in Marseille. And this is the taxi stop where people who were coming back from Marseille stop at. 
I also notice by your skin color that you clearly have been on vacation. And I notice by that ink blot on your right index finger that you must be a writer. And your clothing and your accent are clearly British. So I put all these observations together and I deduce that you must be Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. And he's amazed. He says, you're a modern day Sherlock Holmes. And the taxi driver says, yeah, one more thing. You've got your name on the front of all your luggage. (laughs) See, how do you miss that? How is it that some people can see where God is moving and some can't? Here's a star. It's no normal star because the Bible says it focused its glow particularly on one spot. Because that star was a guiding light. That star was a divine appointment. It was a miraculous manifestation. Because people don't accidentally find God. They providentially find Him. Paul in one of his sermons in the book of Acts chapter 17 says this. From one man... He made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. And God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he's not far from each one of us. The Bible says it's not an accident that you live where you live. It's not an accident that you live in the times you live in. It's not an accident that you are where you are around the people you are around doing what you do. God has been working in your life. Your life's road has been marked by signs. Because God is relentless in urging you to go seek His Son. I'm wondering... How God got the attention of so many of you. For some of you, God got your attention when you lost your job. And for some, God got your attention when you got a job. For some of you, God got your attention when you found that person you were going to spend your life with. For some of you, God got your attention when that person walked away. Some of you, God got your attention when you found out you were going to be a daddy. And maybe for some, he got your attention when you found out you might never be a mommy. Some of you, God got your attention when the doctor called and said, the spot is gone. And some of you, God got your attention when the doctor called and said, there's a spot. My freshman year in college... I met a sophomore at Abilene Christian. His name was Max Licato. I didn't have a lot of use for him. He wasn't really a very admirable young man. He grew up in West Texas, worked in the oil fields. He picked up some really bad habits there, especially language and drinking. Max had a reputation of being a pretty big drinker, and he was. And so he goes home. The fall of his sophomore year in college. Goes back and gets a job in the oil fields at Christmas time to make some money. He's in an old pickup driving after a long day of work. Turns on the radio. The only one station comes in. And there's some old West Texas preacher with bad grammar and a bad accent. Talking about how much God loves you because he sent Jesus 
to be born so that he could die for your sins. And it happened. God got his attention. He pulled that truck off the road. He started crying. And he found Jesus. When he came back for the spring semester of his sophomore year, he started living the life that we all grew to love and respect so much. And he's influenced millions of people around the world. And, and somewhere there's, a, there's an old preacher in West Texas that Max doesn't know or name, who has no idea. He was God's appointed light that night. Because God is relentless in pointing you to his son. And you can expect God to constantly intersect your path and try to redirect your journey toward hope. And just one more thing when you get on that road. You need to know that it is well traversed. Forgive the pun, but here's my point. Matthew doesn't say they followed the star. It says he saw the star. They deduced from the star that a king of the Jews had been born, so they traveled to Jerusalem thinking that's the first place to go to look for a king of the Jews. The star got them to Jerusalem, but the scripture got them to Bethlehem. Because the scripture, the Bible says of itself, is is a lamp for our feet. It's a light for our path. These words are God's way of getting us to the word. We read the scripture to find a king that is worthy of worship. Now, we all know that some read it for different reasons. In fact, I want to say, if you have an agenda, whatever that agenda is, you can read the Bible in such a way to find your agenda. And a lot of people read the Bible for almost every other reason than to find a king. In fact, think about those religious leaders in Jerusalem. They knew the answer to the wise men's question. But they weren't willing to make the wise men's journey. They were experts in Bible questions. But they weren't looking for a king. And it would foreshadow a journey they wouldn't make 30 years later. And Jesus would call them on it. In John 5, he said, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. There are so many roads that disappoint. The road to bigger and better disappoints. The road to famous disappoints. The road to religion disappoints and a lot of people are going to have Christmas and they're going to miss Christ and so I'm begging you this year to check the road you're on Dr. James Dobson told a story a few years ago 
about an Arizona businessman named Stephen Shandig. And he had several children, and they had a rule at their house at Christmas time that on Christmas Eve, everybody would go to bed. And nobody was to go downstairs and look under the tree until the entire family was up and they would all go down together. So at 4.30 in the morning, they're frustrated when little seven-year-old David comes into the bedroom and says, Mama, Daddy, get up, get up. I saw it, I saw it, I saw it. See, David had been asking for a bicycle for two years and there was a bicycle under that tree. He's broken their rule. But they don't want to be Grinches on Christmas morning. So they put on robes and slippers and they get all the kids up to go down together. But when they get to the bottom of the stairs, David doesn't turn this way to go to the tree. But he turns this way to go to the window on the east side of the house. And he holds her hands and he rushes over and says, see the star, the star. I see the bar of Bethlehem. See it? See it? Forget the bike. See the star. Don't miss Christ at Christmas. Now, wise men didn't. Boy, their road was long. That trip was hard, and it had to be expensive. But it says they were filled with joy. Because that's what happens when you find a king who's worthy of worship. That's what happens when you find hope. And it says at the end of the story in verse 12 that they returned to their own country by a different way. And I know it refers to the fact that they wanted to avoid Herod. But I would argue that when you find Jesus, your path always changes. You will not stay on the road you used to be on when you find a king who's worthy of worship. You find hope and you will find a better road. If Jesus is who he is, he's the smartest man who ever lived. He knows more about life than anyone who's ever taught. And here's what he said. Your life is going to frustrate you until you find the reign of God. That's what you're made for. That's what you should seek with all your heart. And some of you don't like where your life is going. And you're not going to find what's missing at a mall. Or under a tree. Because what's missing from your life is the reign of God. And this story is calling, this story is begging you to find an off-ramp. Do a U-turn. Start heading to Jesus. Because you were made for a better road. You were made for hope. This past year, a very popular movie called The Hunger Games was built on the grisly idea of a wicked world ruled by an evil man who keeps people in subjection through fear. And they have this annual contest where people, children from different districts are called to 
compete in kind of a mix of Roman gladiator games and reality TV. And they fight to the death. And only one survives. And in the movie, the, the evil ruler is saying to the gamekeeper, Do you know why there has to be a winner? And he says this. Hope is the only thing stronger than fear. A little hope is effective. A lot of hope is dangerous. A spark is fine as long as it is contained. So contain hope. And wicked men, under the dominion of a wicked dragon, have been trying to contain hope ever since. A week ago, Friday night, I came to this place and I prayed. I walked up and down every single aisle in this room and right in front of every chair. And I prayed against the spirit of fear. I prayed against the spirit of confusion. I prayed against the spirit of rebellion. I prayed against the spirit of religion. I prayed against anything that would keep anybody, no matter where you're sitting, from finding the way to Jesus. And I'm about to give you a chance to start on that road. Now hear me close. I'm not asking you to join a church or write a check or read a book or even get baptized. I'm saying there are some people here right now who need to get off the road you're on and just start heading toward Jesus. And we want to help. We can pray with you. We can get this book open and we can show you a king who's worthy of worship. And I want to tell you something. Before you even start looking... God has already been looking for you. Father, I'm going to just pray right now. I'm going to pray against anything that would contain hope. We were meant to live with explosive, overwhelming, effusive hope. And we let the stress and the worry and the stuff of this world contain it and I pray against that and I pray Father right now that those who need to start living in the direction of Jesus will have the courage right now to take that first step that we won't miss Christ this Christmas For his sake and because he is worthy of worship, I pray this. Amen. And so all of you stand up, please. There will be some people down front. Again, all I'm asking this morning is this. Would you just start heading toward Jesus? Please come while we sing.